Let's let our children know this is a little bit different today. Ages two years old through second grade make their way to junior worship. The rest of you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we'll be looking in verse, we're going to be looking through that passage that we sang earlier. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And as you're, as you're turning there, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and I'm going to encourage you. I want to remind you, I'm thinking ahead of myself, of a very important aspect of our worship, of our worship assembly. It's the offering that we bring to God. We make it possible for you to, to worship God with your offering in four different ways. You can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. Quite easy thing to do. You can go online to our website. You can follow the easy instructions there. There's a box around the homepage. Click on it and follow the instructions. Or if you're here in person, you can give um, in the box that's right there on the way out. And, and Alan mentioned it, but you guys are incredible in your generosity. Uh, we as a church at Eastside are, are so blessed by people who are reaching the community through the donation you gave to Mercy's Gate. So thank you so much for that. So we're in the Christmas season, and, and I think one of, the, one of the really exciting aspects of the holiday season are our Christmas carols. We were singing some of them this morning. For those of us that are a little bit older, the Christmas carols, they do this for me. They just, they remind you of certain events and certain past Christmases. You just love to sing them for that reason. But then for those of us who are, who are younger, the Christmas carols, they create an excitement and a longing and expectation as we count down the days to Christmas. And so as we saw last week in our introductory lesson to our Advent series, there's actually biblical precedent for Christmas carols. For as you're following the narrative of the story of Jesus, four times the story shifts in its literary style to this poetic language, four times. And these four places that it has this change, they're traditionally called songs. Advent songs. And so in our Advent series this year that I've entitled A Christmas Musical, we're spending time looking at each of these four songs in Luke's gospel. We, we began last week looking in Mary's song, and there's a, so much there, very rich passage, so much you can learn from there, but the primary theme that stood out to me that I'm sharing with you is that of worship. As we enter into the Christmas Advent season, we hear God calling us to worship. And that's appropriate because worship is very it's very fundamental. It's a very, very important part and discipline of the life of a follower of in Jesus. And so it's wise for us at times to stop and say, well, what exactly is worship? What's it supposed to look like? Mary's song shows us. So last week we looked at a, what we would call a bird's eye view and we saw five, we made five general observations from, from Mary's song that teach us about worship. Worship is praise, worship is overflow, worship is personal and, and communal or corporate, worship is spirit led and the language of worship is scripture. All of that we gained from Mary's song. And so now what I want to do, we looked at it as a whole, I want us just to walk through this beautiful poetic uh, literature and 
let it teach us more on worship. But before we do so, I want to just make a couple of comments about the author. Now, certainly indeed, this is an inspired passage by the Holy Spirit. And so we would say that the Holy Spirit is the author of this passage. But I think our understanding of this passage is better informed if we understand who the human author is. The human instrument through which God gave us this song. And that's Mary. This song is written by a teenage girl, probably between the ages of 12 to 17. So take note of that, girls or young women. Don't let your culture and the voice of your culture lead you to conclude, I'm just a woman. Or just to all of our young people. Do not listen to the voice. Do not believe. Do not say, I am too young. There are many adults likely still in this room who are saying, one day when I grow up, I'm going to do this. Someday, someday needs to be thrown away. Someday I'm going to do these things for God. God has chosen you right now for great things in his kingdom. Now, speaking of teenagers, I heard today that Braden Godoy is celebrating his 17th birthday. And if you'll just get a better football jersey... A Dallas Cowboys shirt to church. What does the Bible say about that? Goodness. What, if, what about this girl? This song is written by a teenage girl who is likely between the ages of 12 to 17. This song is written by the person who knew Jesus on a human level better than anyone else. This song is written by the person who was touched by Jesus' birth more than anyone else. This song we're going to look at was written by the person who was, as a matter of fact, touched by Jesus' death more than anyone else. She's the only one who was with Jesus at his birth, and she was the only one who was with Jesus at his death at the same time. We're not at the same time, but the only person who is at, at both of those. The child in her womb was not only her son to be born, but it was her son who was her savior. The child that she carried in her womb would be the child that she would stand next to at the foot of the cross. There is no other woman in one sense, who could ever sing this song but Mary. I can't imagine what must have been racing through the heart of this young girl knowing that she was carrying the Son of God in 
her womb. But here's the thing, I don't have to imagine. In this song, Mary reveals her heart. Who better to tell us about the story of the birth of Jesus than the one who birthed him? And so, if we could have an opportunity to interview Mary and say, Mary, wow, what is it like to be the, the of all the people in the world, to be the one who was chosen to carry and give birth to the Son of God? And Mary said, Verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That verse alone could be a sermon series. We learn so much about worship. First of all, we learn from that statement that worship flows from deep within. I want you to notice that she speaks here of her soul and her spirit. And that's not talking about, about the Holy Spirit. And what we see here is in Hebrew poetry what is called parallelism. And in this case, it's what's called synonymous parallelism, where you have two lines, and both of the lines pretty much say the same thing for, in, for emphasis. The point is not here to make a distinction between the soul and the spirit, but to make that comment twice for the point of making emphasis that what is happening here in this song is something that is just flowing from deep within this woman's soul. Her soul, her spirit, was saturated by a sense of the nature of the divine and her mouth open it just poured out in beautiful pure praise to God Mary was not worshiping simply with her head and her lips but this was a worship that flows deep within I've heard it said that if you were to bump into a bucket whatever's on the inside spills out so when you're bumped into what spills out of your mouth? We have no question what was inside of Mary. For we see it flowing out from within. And, and this is an incredibly important point because from Genesis to Revelation, if there's one thing that gets on God's nerves that he cannot stand, it is superficial worship. Jesus quotes Mark, and, and actually Jesus is quoting Isaiah. It's recorded in the Gospel of Mark. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. Let me ask you about your worship. Is it in vain? A rote religious ritual, going through the motions, speaking words, but your mind is so far away. You ever done that? I have. Not Mary. Mary opens her mouth and from deep within pure worship pours out. Secondly, we see from her words when she, when she sings, my soul magnifies, we learn that worship magnifies God. And the word magnify, it makes me think, maybe you too, of a magnifying glass. 
Worship is a magnifying glass. Its whole intention and purpose is to magnify God, to enlarge God, to exalt God, to lift Him up. And while too often in history we see an unhealthy extreme of a, of a focus and, and a, a magnification of Mary, Mary's life, Mary's song focused on God and magnified God. She made no post on social media with a selfie saying, look at me, look at my bump, look at what I have done and I have accomplished. You can't help but notice in this song the repetitive use. This is why the, the nature of the language changes when you have the multiple use of, of pronouns. But it wasn't I and me and I and me and I and me. It's all the third person. And this is a picture of my Bible as I, as I circled it in my personal studies. You can't see it real well. But in verse 48, listen to her song. He, this is in reference to God. He has looked. Verse 49, he who is mighty. Verse 49, holy is his name. Verse 50, his mercy. Verse 51, he has shown. Verse 51, he has scattered. Verse 52, he has brought down. Verse 53, he has healed. Verse 53, he has sent away. Verse 54, he has help. Verse 55, he spoke. Church, we must understand this. God, not man, not us. God is the object of our worship. And that should go without being stated. But how many times have we left a worship service and said or heard someone say, I just didn't get much out of that. To which Mary replies, that's okay because it wasn't about you anyway. What a difference it would make. And we talked about our worship wars. What a difference it would make with them. What a difference it would make in our bickering and dividing over worship services. What a difference it would make in those who church hop always looking for a better show if we understood that God is the object of our worship. Worship in Mary's song magnifies God. And then with the words... My spirit rejoices in God. We see that worship is accompanied by joy. But I think it's crucial to notice it says my spirit rejoices in all that's going on. No, not always. My spirit rejoices in God. There are times when our circumstances don't motivate us to want to worship. But worship is something that we bring to the circumstances of our lives as our focus is on God and it lifts our spirit. Worship we see here is accompanied by joy. And we also see here in, with Mary's words that worship is continual. And this is a little bit, a little bit technical you might say, but the words my soul magnifies in the verb tense, linguists would call this not aorist punctiliar, which means it's one time, sorry, it's, it's a one time action that happens and it's done. It's present continual active. That means this is a continual action on Mary's part. Her worship expressed the song. It wasn't, it wasn't a Christmas Advent moment. It wasn't a Sunday moment. There was not an on-off switch to Mary's worship. Her worship was ceaseless and endless because the reasons and the truths that evoked worship within her regarding God were ceaseless. Her worship 
was continual. And then in verse 48 with the words, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. We learn that worship flows from a humble heart. How could it not? When we look through the magnifying glass of worship and we see the greatness of God, it should cause us to see ourselves in proper perspective, in humility, as it did with Mary. Certainly, God's greatness, major theme in this song, but the secondary theme indeed is humility. You just feel humility in this song. You just see how humility, humility radiates from Mary's character. She describes herself in this song as a servant, and really the better translation here should be slave. It's a Greek word which means to be completely owned, the property of one's master with no rights of their own. Mary was a teenage peasant girl from a working class town of Nazareth. She knew who she was and therefore she was absolutely blown away that God chose her. And so she worships that he was, as she sings, mindful of her lowly estate. She worships the God who is defined in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful name of God. Who is the God who is El Roi. The God who sees me. And I love this. I love this about God. With over 7 billion people in the world. And how many trillions of things are going on not just on planet earth, but in our universe that must be capturing his attention at any given moment. And in any given moment, he is mindful of me. He sees me. He knows me. He chose me. And as my Savior, he died for me. Oh, if, if we could give a title to Mary's song, it could be, I, I am chosen. Out of all the people in the world, she sings, God chose me. That was true for Mary. And that's true for you. And so the realization of this made her realize how blessed she was. And so she sings in verse 48, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Worship flows from a deep realization we see also of how blessed we truly are. And then as we saw last week from Mary's song that we worship God for two reasons, for who he is and for what he has done. As we look through the magnifying glass of Mary's worship, we read these words in verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. Why do we worship? Because he is mighty. He is holy. He is merciful. 
And in an anthropomorphic term, it describes God's might through the strength of his arm. And we know who the strong arm of Colorado is. Frank Azar. There's a little advertisement for you, Frank. Oh, but listen. God, by the strength of his arm. Isaiah says his arm is not too short to to save from heaven to earth. This arm is a display of strength. This is the arm that is symbolic of the one who ultimately defends the weak against the strong. Well, a really wonderful study for you to consider is just look everywhere in the Bible where it speaks of God's arm and what God has done by his arm. Indeed, he has done great things. We worship him for he is mighty, but then we worship him because he is holy. It's not simply that he is holy. He's Mary sings. That's his name. He is separate. In a part, there's no one else, there's nothing else like him. He is holy. We are taught to, to pray, holy or hallowed be your name. Church, when we worship, it is sacred. It is holy. We worship him for he is mighty. We worship him for he is holy. And we worship him for he is merciful. And that's a beautiful word in the Greek that's taken from the really beautiful Hebrew word, Chesed, which is hard to describe because we cannot get greatness around the meaning of this word. But I could, in a simplified human way, it means the unchanging, unwavering, undeserving, loving kindness and faithfulness of God. It's only through the mercy of God that we would dare to approach His holy throne and worship Him. And our world takes mighty and our world takes merciful and says these are mutually exclusive. You're either mighty or you're merciful. You can't be both. And God in his character combines them. He is mighty and he is merciful. And Mary sings his mercy is for those, listen to this, who fear him. Worship is reverent. Worship is reverent. Those who worship him do so in fearful awe, trembling awe, in adoration, in reverence, in his presence. What has he done by his might, his holiness, and his mercy? Verse 51. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away. It's all upside down. The way up is down. You see here in the working of God by his might and his mercy and his holiness. A reversal of everything in which we place our identity, our value, our worth, and our purpose. He flips it upside down. He brings down the proud, the mighty, and the rich, the self-satisfied. And he lifts up the poor, the humble, and the hungry. And you might think this is a condemnation of the, the, the rich and the mighty and the powerful the proud but it's not a condemnation this is his mercy to awaken them to bring them down that they will have nowhere else but to look up for a savior are you proud 
Are you mighty? Are you self-satisfied and rich? By his mercy, he has come for you. Are you poor? Are you hungry? Are you helpless and humble? By his mercy, he has come for you. And I think the words that Mary sings, he has filled the hungry with good things, man, that just nails it for Christmas. It's so relevant at Christmas because aren't we just filling ourselves up right now and planning on filling ourselves up right now with so many good things. We've got our Christmas list for ourselves, for others, pages, pages and pages for our grandchildren, Christmas list and we shop and we shop and we clean and we clean we're getting ready for that special day and under the tree are so many beautiful shiny sparkly presents and we get up on Christmas morning and wow what I wanted but then a year later where are those gifts? Are they broken? Are they lost? Are they under the bed? In the closet? In the attic somewhere? Or in the garage? Are they piled up with other toys? Are they clothes that now are out of style? Or that we've outgrown? And so we start making our list for next year. And oh, we cook, and we cook, and we cook, because we eat, and we eat, and we eat, and we go to bed on December 25th swearing, I'll never eat again. <laughs> and we get up on December 26th, and we're hungry all over Again, and I don't mean to be the Grinch and poo-poo on Christmas. I don't know if I'm supposed to say poo-poo in a sermon. But it makes sense there, doesn't it? But it's like all this buildup, all this excitement, and then it's over. You got to take the lights down, the tree down, and all the ornaments, put them away until next year. At the Christmas season, we seek to fill ourselves with so many good things, but they just don't seem to fill. And so Mary's song reminds us that he alone fills the hungry with good things, with a lasting satisfaction that fills the soul, and that's where worship flows from. Every good and perfect gift, James tells us, it comes from above, not Macy's or Amazon, but from above. He is the bread of life and the living water that truly fills our empty lives. And then verse 54 Mary sings, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. We worship God because our story is not simply our story. It's part of this huge meta-narrative. It's part of this grand story of God that goes all the way back to our fathers, all the way back to our father Abraham, to a promise that God made, a promise that God remembered, a promise that God kept, a promise that God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we are offspring of that, participants, recipients of that promise. And those blessings 
And so next week, the song that we're going to look at is called the Song of Zechariah. And I want to encourage you, I've given it to you for your life groups to unpack ahead of time, actually. I want to encourage you also on your own this week, just to live in that song. Read Luke 1 and 2 and learn the story of, of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and live in that song. Let it nourish you and let it prepare you as, as we'll look together at that song next Sunday morning. And then Mary closes her song with the words, forever. And here we learn, this is the song that never ends. It goes on and on, my friend. Don't be jealous. I'm not going to be on the praise team. Why are you laughing? Worship is endless. That's the point. And Mary states this in verse 50, because his mercy extends not to her, but from generation to generation down to our generation. And so Mary realizes this is not just really her song. This is my song. This is your song out of all the people in the world. Listen, he's chosen you. He's come to this earth and died for you that he might be your savior. And so if Jesus is not your Savior, if you've yet to yield your life to Him by faith through confessing Him as Lord, through repentance and baptism in Christ, hear this song. Hear the call of this song to choose Him as He chose you. Whatever you do, don't let another Christmas path with, pass without accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you do, you've missed the whole essence and the point of Christmas, is he your savior? But to those who are followers of Christ, we're reminded that out of all of the people in the world, he has chosen us. He has chosen you like he chose Mary. To bring Christ living in you to a lost world. That Jesus might be born into the hearts and lives of others who so desperately need him. If that's not a part of your Advent celebration, you've missed the meaning of Christmas. You've missed the essence of worship. For Mary's song tells us that worship is not just a song. It's not just a prayer. It's not just Christmas carols. It's a way of life that she lived. And so in this Advent season, God is calling us through her song to worship. And in the words of Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, her song is appealing to us in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies, not just sing a song, but to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice for this is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what does that look like for you personally and practically? What would he have you to do? Let's ask him. Would you stand with me? As we pray. <clears throat>
Holy Father, we thank you for these incredible words that are so rich. Oh God, may these, may these words, may you just plant them deep into our hearts. And may they reverberate within us. May from within, Lord God, may worship flow in ceaseless praise. Oh Lord, teach us to worship. May this song be the song of our hearts. And God, may you open our ears and, and our hearts and everything we have in us that can receive your word. And may those who do not know you as Lord and Savior, may they hear and feel your magnetic draw to respond to you. And Father, may in this Advent season we not just sing carols and songs of worship, but we bring to you our lives, our spirit-filled lives, that we may, you may through us radiate Jesus that we could bring Christ, as Mary did, into our world. In this moment of quietness, we listen. Oh God, what is it you have to say to each of us? As we offer this song up in prayer, I want to encourage you, if you've, you've come with a need for prayer, if you've come with a heavy heart, reach out to someone close by and ask them to pray for you. Our elders are here and they're available to pray for you as well. Our, our prayer room is open if you need to go back there and pray. Let's offer our, our words this morning to God in prayer and in song. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.